We talking about, talking about everything. And what it's all about. Welcome to Insequentials, a couple's podcast about, well, everything. We talk about love, marriage, parenting, religion, race, politics, and pop culture. Why? Because we have the mic. We've been waiting a long time to get a mic. And now that we have one, we're not putting it down. It's like Outcast used to say, the South Side got something to say. Yeah. That's Adrian, my husband. And yeah, he comes along for the ride. We're outcast. So today we're going to be talking about surviving marriage trauma. <laughs> As a, uh, we're going to tell them that for real? We're going to talk about surviving marriage trauma, specifically about how we um, have survived the trauma of recurrent miscarriages and with the hopes of... Um, really encouraging other couples who are similarly situated because we found um, that as we were living through our experience, there just weren't a whole lot of people talking about it. And so the easiest way to take the stinger out of, um, I think, taboo topics is to talk about them. Yeah, for sure. So that's what we're going to do, and that is what we do at Insequentials. We talk about the stuff that other um, Christian couples, other professional couples, other distinguished couples won't talk about, and um, that's just who we are. Are we distinguished? We are all of those things. We are Christian. We are distinguished. We are professionals, um, but we are also who we are. And that is that we are unafraid to tackle the hard topics. So today, the hard topic is recurrent miscarriages. And I'm going to pull out my handy dandy, oh, 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 what I do with it? What I do with my phone? Cell phone to get some stats for you. Um, just because my memory isn't great enough to hold all this stuff in my head. Um, because this is not something that is unique to us in that um, globally 48.5 million couples experience infertility within you know over the course of relation their relationships an estimated 15% of couples will have trouble conceiving um, and about 9% of men and 10% of women aged 15 to 44 reported infertility problems in the United States, and that's a CDC report. So to say um, that infertility and um, problems for women, for couples, is not uncommon is an understatement. Um it is pervasive. One in four healthy women in their 20s and 30s will get pregnant in any single menstrual cycle. And listen at how many will experience a miscarriage. One in four. 
Yeah, it's real. I mean, uh, I think that was was surprising for me as as we were going through it, the, how prevalent it was, and um, and then how many couples when I would say something would like you could see them almost react to what I was saying, and they're like, "We've had miscarriages too." So a lot of people do. It's just they're scared to talk about it. It's it's a it's a it's a tough subject, especially if you haven't been able to conceive. And you're maturing, and and things are going on around you, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was it was definitely surprised um, to know that we were amongst many, um, and that's why I always I like honesty. I like to talk about it, get it out on the table. It makes me feel better, and I, and and I've seen in my life it, it helps other people too. Yeah, if I'm being honest, which I am, so we don't really need the disclaimer. Um, it is exhausting. Mm-hmm. to talk about um, just because um, it's it's a highly emotionally charged conversation because it does bring up all of the memories of every single loss. And um, we're going to backtrack here in a second and actually tell the story. Um, so I do want to respect the many couples, men and women, who have opted not to share um, because I completely get how difficult it is to discuss. And not just miscarriages, but recurrent miscarriages specifically. Um, It's emotionally exasperating. So um, please understand there's absolutely no judgment or no disrespect to anyone who has decided that for them, it's just not um, in their best interest to talk openly about it. I mean, it's a personal decision for sure. Um, but for us, I found freedom and liberty and um, healing in talking about it and using it more as a testimony to help other couples um, understand that one, they're not alone, and two, that you never get over the loss because they're your babies, but you do learn how to live with the loss. And um, I just feel empowered by um, sharing the story and seeing that other people are encouraged by um how we've navigated through it um, and are, are navigating through it. Because, I, I mean, I think that it'll be something that we'll work through for the rest of our lives, for sure. But let's take a moment and let's sort of go back um, and bring everyone forward um, with our story. Should I start? Sure. Um, we met... Way back in, was it 2006? No, seven, eight, nine. 2009, eight. we met. I moved down in 2010. Yeah, we got married in 2012. And then the miscarriages started. And um, we got married, and I immediately got, well, I got promoted before we got married. The company was nice enough to let me stay in Florida for a few more months until we got married. We went on a honeymoon, moved back, and then uh, came back from the honeymoon, and then I moved to Michigan. And, and Hannah and Malia followed, and you had a miscarriage while you were still here. And then it just literally went on for another five years. 
Probably a little longer than that, but for a number of years, for sure. Yeah, of of every time it, we go to the doctor to, to the ultrasound, and sometimes we get past that point, and and then we wouldn't have a heartbeat, and then uh, for years, and and for me as the man going through that, number one, we're newlyweds. Um, number two, we we had still some issues on the table that needed to be solved, and then you throw the miscarriages in that, and we're living away from everybody we knew. We we're living in Michigan, so. For me, it was the beginning of it was 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 I mean a, a hurricane like I it was what was going on. Um, I, I felt guilty of something that I mean nobody's fault, but you tend to have these feelings of guilt because it affects um, the woman differently. And so I was trying to f- literally figure out um, how I could alleviate some of the frustration and pain. Um, but at the same time, trying to stay out of the way too. Yeah. 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 yeah um, for me, after we got married, we had the first miscarriage, you know, right away. Um, we got pregnant on the honeymoon. Um, it was sort of the beginning of what would be, I think, the decimation of a fairy tale. Um, now, to be clear, I came into the relationship with, at the time, a three-and-a-half-year-old um, from a previous relationship. My husband didn't have any children coming into the relationship. And so, as a woman, I f- was excited about um, being able to have a child with you, to see you with your first biological child, you know, even though you came into the relationship and you immediately assumed the father role for our oldest daughter, uh, for Hannah, um, you know, of course, we wanted to have a biological child together. And um, when that didn't happen, the first time, the second time, the third time, there was this overwhelming sense that I was failing as a woman to do what I was supposed to be doing. And I think looking back now, um, that was probably largest, you know, sort of cloud that overshadowed me um, early days as we started to experience uh, the first few miscarriages. It was just an overwhelming sense of disappointment in myself Um, because, you know, you dream of this. You know, I dreamt my whole life of getting married and being able to have more children and for me, that was one of the fundamental pieces of the puzzle um, that just wasn't fitting. It was not fitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I felt some guilt there too. Again, don't can't tell you why, um, but for me, it was. I I felt bad because it it, it seemed painful. Um, one number two, you know, I was mourning myself. And three, yeah, I didn't have a father growing up, um, so I, that was something that I dreamed of being. Um, didn't know what it really, really looked like. I knew I wanted to be there um, and be present. 
So it for me, it was one of those first few times in my life that I couldn't do something I wanted to do, right? Um, it, it, I can't tell you how, but I normally accomplish things I set out to do at some point or at some level. And that was the first time that not only could I not accomplish it, but it, it felt like you were helpless. Like, what did you do? Um, and faith comes in there that you you continue to believe and 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 pray and and, and expect things to happen. Um, you know, we'll get into this shortly, I'm sure. Um, but I think that happened, um, and that's the you know as people experience this because it's not going to go away infertility. Um, it's, it's always fulfillment in the process, um, whether you're able to have a biological child or not. Um, and that's something that we'll get into that I think I learned from this. But, yeah, it's tough for a man because we're not carrying the child. Yeah. Um, in most cases, this it wasn't a situation where it was like a, a, a surprise. We wanted to be pregnant. We're married. We're in love. Um, and from a man's perspective, it, 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 I want a child. Um, and it hurt when we kept having miscarriages because I think a lot of times people immediately gravitate to the woman because it's in your body yeah. and you're going through the changes. Um, but I was, you know, as a man, you tend to deal with things that's a little differently and people don't realize that you, but it was a death for me as well. Yeah. Right? And uh, that's the biggest thing for men out there to experience is that I would say uh, make sure you check in with those feelings. Can you can you just pause right there and can you just go a little bit deeper on that point and, and maybe talk directly to men who may be supporting um, their partner, their wife through um, miscarriages, recurrent miscarriages, and sort of really battling with that, you know, being the caretaker, being the supporter, as well as being directly impacted as the parent who is also experiencing the trauma of the losses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the challenge for men, at least me, and, and we tend to at least um, think alike in, in, in a certain level, is that uh, you can't fix everything, right? So on one hand, I want to, okay, we're going to have this baby. Like, what I got to do? We're going to figure it out. On the other hand, it's like it's going to be all right when women don't really want to hit that. So we're trying to figure things out that we can't figure out. So it makes us even more um, unstable. You can't help her because you have no idea hormonally what she's going through. And then the world, you have friends. Because at the time, I mean, I have a really close core group of guy friends, right? We don't, well, they all live close to each other. I'm kind of the one that's always somewhere else. But we keep in touch with talk every day through text or something. And they were all having babies. I mean, multiple babies. And that's, it's a challenge because here I am, I, I'm, if you know me, I'm, I'm, I love to see other people fulfilled in whatever it is they want to achieve. So if on one hand, I'm happy for them. I'm ecstatic. On the other hand, it's, it, it hurts because it's like, why can't we get this done? So at the same time they're having babies, we're losing them. So I would say for men is to, um, you know, I can be very introspective. Um, and, and as I age, I'm, I, I see where that isn't always, um, the best way to go, and especially for something like this that you have that you can't change, that you you don't understand, that you really you can go and pay more money, but that doesn't make sure that that's nothing promising that to happen. I think for men is to make sure you check in with somebody. Um, believe it or not, there's a lot of men out here that experience this. They probably haven't talked about it, um, but it is a real feeling of frustration and a failure 
of 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 not being able to be in control of something and not that I think I'm in control of anything. Anyway, I understand that. But it is something that you have a a manly duty. And when you see people having babies that don't even want them. Yeah. And as a man that does want children, you can't uh, produce them. Uh, it, it does um, get to a point where you have to be able to release those feelings because believe it or not, I started to resent you at some yeah. point as I was feeling like you were resenting me and not because we were having miscarriages, but it was so much emotion going around and I felt forgotten a lot because I'm a man. Yeah. Um, when in reality it was, it was just as painful for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's, that's good. Um, and I'm glad that you, um, sort of addressed that resentment issue because I mean, I think that swings both ways and my body's not doing as a woman what it's supposed to do. It's not allowing me to do what I want, what I want to be able to do. Um, so I'm resentful of myself. Um, if I'm being honest, there is resentment towards God because it's like, I'm doing everything I know to do from a faith perspective. You know, I'm getting all these prayers and, you know, telling me that this thing is, this is going to happen and it's not happening. Um, and then I was very resentful towards you as well. And completely, I think, disconnected from your experience as a father, not just as my husband, my supporter, my helpmate. Um, that was sort of the sole focus was, you know, how are you supporting me? Um, I don't know that I had the capacity then to think more deeply about what you needed, let alone to provide that. Um, but that is part of the surviving the trauma mm -hmm. is to stick with it long enough to learn it, to identify it, be honest about the gap, figure out how to close it together. Because, you know, certainly, you know, we have um, in a lot of areas, I think this being one of them, um, because we just had to pause and say, all right, this is not working. And so I want to talk now about, we had the 11 miscarriages. Um, we rounded that out with a stillborn, um, which was the 12th loss. Um, and in a grand crescendo, the worst loss out of all the losses um, at five months to have to give birth to um, a baby to be able to hold her and have to go through the funeral process and all of that. Um, and that was really it for me. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't say that that's where I drew a line in the sand because, I mean, I was very much still open to, you know, whatever God wanted to do. Um, 
But for me, I just physically, I, I there wasn't much more I could physically absorb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, I, I obviously physically, I didn't go through anything, but I didn't want you to physically go through it because I mean, that was years of, of just medical things that you went through, even when we weren't pregnant. Um, so it was like just a continuous. And it got to the point where I want—I didn't want to put you through that anymore. I didn't want to see no more needles. I didn't want to see no more blood. I didn't—I didn't want to have to go and do any more ultrasounds to see if it's a heartbeat. I just didn't want to do it. It was almost like a—it was almost like like every time we went there, it would—you almost knew what to expect. And that's not my mindset. So I didn't even want to deal with it anymore. But more so, I didn't want to put you through it. I, I was tired of going through the physical changes that it took to end up in the same place. Didn't give up. Yeah. Um, mentally, I, I obviously still wanted children uh, biologically, but at the end of the day, I, I you know, the, the beauty of it, I think at the end of it is that we were mature enough to make it through it, but I think we took lessons from it. But what I realize now is that um, life always turns out the way you want it to. may not look like you thought it would as long as you keep an open heart and keep moving forward towards whatever market that was. And I think that's the, what the, the crescendo of, of, of this particular story is for me. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say it maybe a little differently in that life turns out where you're in, in the direction that your intentions are set. Mm-hmm. And that is good, bad, or ugly. You know what I mean? Which is why I think you have to absolutely be intentional about... Um, where you are setting your um, where you are setting um, your your intentions, right? And your your where you're expending expending your energy. And for us, I think as we sort of rounded out with that last um, stillborn, I think we knew we didn't want to try any more medical interventions. We um, together so beautifully um, came together to decide we're not going to do anything to prevent getting pregnant, but we're not going to make this um, a monument or an idol in our marriage Mm -hmm. in that if it happens, great, God bless it. We would be ecstatic. If it doesn't happen, we are going to be committed to living and loving each other, loving on the child that we were blessed with, and moving forward. And um, that was a game changer. Because it would be years later before um, we would get an answer to our prayers. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about that. You can start. Okay, so we had our um, we had our, the stillborn baby in two thousand and fifteen. No, mm-hmm. yes, that is that is accurate. Just had a brain fart. Two thousand and fifteen, we had um, Ari Reed Archie. She has a name, which is another thing I would like to encourage everyone who is experiencing miscarriages, um, recurrent miscarriages. Um, name your babies. They're your babies. And, you know, you don't have to, you know, do what makes you feel comfortable. But it was helpful for me 
to name and identify my baby and um, make sure she had an identity and we celebrate her. So 2015, we lose Ari Reed Archie and we make the decision that we're going to move forward. Fast forward four years. Um, and our state of mind is we're not stopping it, but we're not seeking medical intervention to make it happen. Um, for me, um, I spent um, some time in foster care as a child. So I always wanted to adopt and to foster um, children. It's, it's, it's sort of um, been a heart passion of mine. Um, but my husband, um, and I think largely because of your um, desire to um, have a biological child and seeing adoption or fostering as maybe a concession that you're giving up on that or that that won't happen, um, you were not aligned with me on that initially. You want to talk about that? No, I wasn't. I mean, I, but I, it wasn't a reason more so than just ignorance. Um, but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't like I didn't like kids. Or I thought it was just, I just didn't see that for myself because again, I, I tend to accomplish things that I want to do. So that was, it was, it, it was a hard position. Well, it was a whole lot that came with this that we're not even talking about career wise and everything. So I think that was just a period of my life that God was changing my heart. Um, and it culminated into years later what happened. Yeah. Um, so. So we were um, visiting a, a church, and unbeknownst to us, they had the CEO of a of the um, foster uh, foster care agency in our county um, was visiting the church that day, and um, he was. Um, encouraging everyone to partner with the program to become foster parents to consider fostering an adoption and I was of course overcome because you know that's a passion for me uh, but in that service my husband reached over to me and grabbed my arm and said and what did you say I'll let you say it because it still gives me goosebumps I said I think I want to try it I think I want to do it um and at the time, listening to and seeing the videos they played and, and just understanding that, that I have a purpose on this earth that I've always known, known I've had. I just didn't extend to me being a father. Um, well, at least that purpose didn't extend to me being a father. Um, but that purpose is to be a change maker, be available. I, I, I truly believe that wherever I'm at right now, I'm here for a reason, right? And that's what helped me cope with not being able to have children, that, that I still have a, a purpose and God still has me where I need to be. Um, and I felt in that moment, God saying, this is the purpose. This is your heart. Um, and listening to those stories, I, I knew then that I wanted to do it because it wasn't about, I mean, look, we all have family that, that blood, we, we, we grow up saying blood is sticking in water, but is it? Um, and I, and I think a lot of people would, you would challenge that idea considering sometimes Ooh. family you don't even talk to, but other people you're closer to and, and, and have a, a deeper relationship with. So, you know, uh, Blood isn't thicker than water. Love is thicker than Love. water. Um, that's and that's what I learned. And and that's why um, that particular day was a uh, one of those flashboard moments in life that we often pass, but I caught it. You caught it. And we caught it. 
Um, and so I think just to go back to the whole topic, which is surviving trauma in marriage. And I think that alignment is important. You know, whether it is on how you move forward after recurrent miscarriages, if it's any other sort of trauma that you might be facing as a couple, it's coming back to the center and allowing yourselves to get on the same page again. Because make no mistake about it, the trauma is going to knock you (laughs) off center. It does that. It does that. It's going, it's a gut punch. It literally takes the air out of your lungs for a moment and give yourself grace to be where you are in that moment. But that was the game changer for us with respect to that specific trauma was when you reached over and you grabbed my arm and you said to me, I want to do this. It, my heart melted. I got goosebumps. I knew something and I felt something click, something change. I knew that we both were forever different in that moment. I didn't know how different we were going to be, but I knew something happened because we were aligned in an area that was core to who we are as a couple. So after that, I immediately um, started making calls and figuring out how to get qualified to foster or to adopt. But we didn't even have a chance to go down that route because literally as quickly as we got on the same page and came into alignment on how we were going to move forward and sort of reversed that path that we had been on, we got a call that next week. We got a call from my sister um, who lives in another state, um, who is an extraordinary person. But um, part of what makes her extraordinary is her call to um, education and to mentoring and in the pursuit of all of the wonderful things she does, she um, came across a wonderful young lady um, who um, had several children already um, as a teenager and had gotten pregnant again and was terrified of having another child and didn't tell anyone um, that she had been pregnant for nine months but had gone into labor And um, long story short, because she knew our story through my sister, said that she called us by name, completely uncoerced, unsolicited, said that she wanted us to have her baby. So I'm literally driving to the doctor on the Wednesday after we were in that church service. And I get a call from my sister. You have a baby in Cincinnati get to Cincinnati immediately. I call you. What did you think? Yeah, I was a brand new entrepreneur. You know, I was opening up <laughs> for the day. I was cleaning dog hair out the tub. <laughs> and she called me and said that Ivy said it was a baby. And I was like, what? She said, like, this girl's having a baby and she wants us to have it. And I was like, 
That's weird. <laughs> yeah, like, that don't make sense, and I don't want to go through this. Like, yeah, of not happening. And then I was like, all right, so how do we tell if she's serious? Oh. And then you said, well, let's see if she'll let us name the baby. And you said you call back. Yeah. Because, I, you know, my I love my sister, but um, that's a lot <laughs> to, to, you know, have to work out in that short of time. So I called her back and, I, and I'm, if, if she's serious, let me speak to her. And I talked to her and I said, well, can we name the baby? And she said, yes. And we did. And we actually gave her. The name Ari Reed Archie, which was the name of um, our our daughter that we um, that we lost, our last loss, and um, we later realized that you no, know, she needs her own unique name. Ari was Ari. Um, this baby is her own person and deserves her own identity, and so we renamed her. But I couldn't think of anything else in that moment, quite frankly. Um, and so I rushed to Cincinnati. I got to Cincinnati. And um, long story short, after seven days of arguing emergency motions and just literally every door that needed to be opened, being open, I'm in Cincinnati sort of going through the legal battle you stayed back in Florida and bought playpens and cribs and clothes and pampers. And um, we brought a newborn baby home. She was nine days old. And um, she has made all the difference in the world in our family. Completely not the way we would have worked it out mm-hmm. um, ourselves. You couldn't have told me when we got married in 2012 and we had that first miscarriage and then the second and then the third and then the fourth and then the fifth and then the sixth on and on. And then when we lost Ari, you couldn't have told me that this would have happened for us in the way that it did, yeah. but it did. Yeah, and I, I mean, and and, and uh, I'm a crab baby, so it's all good. Y'all know <laughs> me. Um, that uh, when you look at it, and this is the important thing that I want people to catch, um, is that Eliza was being cons- well, she was in the womb before we knew anything about her, um, and we got the call the day she was coming out. So what that tells you is that the God already had the plan in motion. Um, she was going to come and he had a plan for her life. Um, and he had a plan for ours. Um, and I wasn't probably ready to be a father back in all those days. I wasn't the best father to Hannah growing up. Um, cause I was young. Um, but us having a heart to, to just be of use to God, um, and, and it literally fulfilled everything that I thought I wanted in a biological child. Right. So it happened a, a way I wouldn't have um, written. Um, it, 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 it was a painful road to get there, but uh, it's, it's beautiful. She's a beautiful little girl. She fits us. Um, but that's the thing I want people to understand is that we have choices every day, and we all have these desires, whether it's children or marriage or career or whatever. 
And uh, we always want to write the story ourselves, but we don't. We, we're we not in control of anything other than your heart and how you choose and, and move on this earth. So I would challenge people to stop writing the story yourself and see where God wants you to fit in. And if you take a moment and see what's going on around you, oftentimes you can discern where you should be and what you should be doing, do it. Whether it looks like it or not, we often abort um, the plans that God has on this earth, not just in our life, but on this earth, because we have a purpose. And when we don't connect to what that is, Eliza still would have came, and we still would have been here doing what we're doing, but it would have been things that we could have gotten done with her together that would have started other things that never get done. So the chaos you see is often your fault. Um, the chaos we experience is often my fault. It's your fault. It's our fault because we're way too selfish with ourselves when God has a purpose. And I'll end on this point because um, I'll get too deep. But if the bumblebee has to go to that flower in order to keep life going on this earth, then we got to know that we're connected to everything too. And if we're connected to everything too, and that bumblebee, that bumblebee has to get that nectar that the flower has to attract them so he can take pollen to other flowers and the life can keep going, then why wouldn't we need to be connected to that little girl as God intended? But it was our hearts that made that choice, not God. That's why the flow continues. That's why love remains. That's why we're able to move in the direction that God has a purpose for us to do because we have a heart for him. And that's what I want people to understand is that life is going to happen whether you allow it or not. It may not go the way you want if you're not in the right heart position. And that was our segment called We Don't Give a Damn. Not damn, curse word, D-A-M. That is how we keep things flowing in our marriage and how we encourage you to keep things flowing in your relationship. You will have hard times. You will have traumas. The recurrent miscarriages um, and stillborn is just one of the many things that we have grown through as a couple. But I think what you just said is just spot on and great advice and direction for couples who are still in the midst of the storm and trying to figure out how do we get through it. Keep going. Keep your heart open. Keep the flow open. Don't give a damn. Don't Block it. Don't hold back. Keep it going. Keep it going. Don't give a damn. Don't give a damn. Keep it going. So that's our story. Thank you for joining in Sequentials, a show about everything. We hope this has been helpful. We'll see you next time. About almost anything in Sequentials. A couple's discussion about everything and sequentials.